It's good to see you out in the house of God today, and I'm so excited about the future that God has for his people, for his church, and I am thankful for the future that he has for our church, for Calvary. You know, we've been in a series um, for uh, since the beginning of the year of, uh, of growing in Christ and growing up in Christ and what that looks like. And um, I, you know, this is probably more of a last week message, Valentine's Day, but I really felt led. This was laid on my heart, and it's like I could turn this into a series that would go on for weeks, uh, but I'm going to try to keep it concise and into one message, and, and it's called Building a Marriage That'll Last a Lifetime, to Last a Lifetime. You know, I believe that's God's will. I, I believe it is God's will that we keep the covenant of our marriage and, I, and I'm here to say, before I even go on any further, is that I'm not here to try to shed uh, or to make people uh, sit in a shadow of guilt or shame because you've gone through a marriage and I don't walk in your shoes. Uh, I don't know what you've lived through, but I do know this, that I don't know that, that even uh, someone gets a divorce, it's not an unforgivable sin, that God wants to uh, take you into his plan for the rest of your life. And the spouse that you're married to at this time, I believe it is God's will for you to stay married. And I, I believe that. I think that's biblical. And I, I know that God will help you. I said God will help you. The Holy Spirit, one of his, uh, one of his uh, characteristics is, is he's the helper. And he will come alongside and he will assist you. He is a paraclete, one who was, and the grace, comes alongside to help. And he's there to help us, not just in living for Christ, but living as a godly husband and wife. You know, there's not hardly a day that goes by or many days that go by that in my prayers that I cry out to God, Lord, I want to be a godly man. Lord, help me to be a godly man. Can I just say that I know my old sin nature. I know what the other side of that is. And I try to stay as far away from the old Tim Hawthorne as I can, because I didn't like him. I really didn't. I didn't like who I was. You know, I, I, we, you know we try to hide our old sin nature and try to say that, oh, you know, we're having a lot of fun and, and partying and drunkenness and everything else and all the uh, immorality and everything else. But in reality, it brings guilt and shame because we break God's moral laws. And you cannot break God's laws without consequences. You know, uh, the Bible says this, the soul that sins will die. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God provided a remedy for our sin. And uh, I know that there are some people who have had uh, marriage uh, that was made in heaven. And, I th and we thank God for those. And, you know, and, uh, you know, and it hurts deeply when that person is separated by death. But, you know, the helper helps us through those times to get through those. There's others who are separated by, uh, by divorce. Sometimes there have been violence in the marriage. Sometimes there's been, you know, uh, infidelity on one part or both parts. But I will say this, that for the child of God living in a perverse nation, a perverse culture, is God has called his people to stand out and come out from among them and be separate. He's never called his people to blend into the culture and just be like everyone else. He has called us to be unique and special. In fact, the old King James says we're a peculiar people. And I can say that in the church of Jesus Christ, there are some peculiar people. Uh, and uh, some say you're peculiar, pastor. Well, maybe I am. You know, it's a matter of opinion. But I, what God means by that is that we're supposed to be, according to the world, they look at us and say they're kind of odd. They're a little different. 
You know, I, I don't quite get it. And, and, you know, that's a good thing when they don't get it because it makes them wonder what makes you different. Okay? And, uh, and uh, you know, I can say that uh, when you stay married to the spouse that you married and you stay true to that marriage, that's peculiar in this culture. But God's called you to be a peculiar people. And again, I'm not, uh, you know, there's a time when Don and I wrote some curriculum um, on uh, marriage and the family, and some of the people in the church, we were very young in the Lord at the time, some of the people, uh, and young married at the time, and said, you know, you don't know anything. So these are believers, our friends. You don't know, and you, you hate, you're telling people you hate divorced people. I said, no, we're not. We're just saying that that's not God's plan. And, and uh, you know, we're not trying to hurt anyone. We're trying to help people who are struggling. And, and sometimes we can be misunderstood in what we share. You know, my, my motive is never to attack anyone from the pulpit or to uh, state my own views, but simply to stay within the confines as God helps me uh, within the confines of Scripture. What does the Scripture say? Uh, can I tell you that we're living in the last days? And the Bible says in the last days... Paul told Timothy, where they will not endure sound teaching, sound doctrine. They rebel against it. And some of the teaching on marriage from the Scriptures is rebelled by, uh, by people who even are in the church because they don't like what God says. And yet God spoke, and His Word is truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. The truth will make you free. I've told this story before, you know, uh, but before I start, let me just, t- just note your attention up front. A great marriages are built brick by brick, uh, day after day, over a lifetime. You never get done building your marriage. Building relationships are a day-to-day thing. And I, I think of a time, I've shared this before, uh, you know, uh, one of my children, uh, daughter, uh, when her husband first went into ministry, and it's very, very stressful um, you know, most people, young couples, they go into ministry with stars in their eyes, just like they go into marriage, you know, stars in their eyes. Expectations are high and many times unrealistic. And, and uh, my daughter at that time was just struggling. Her husband was not, was really a fairly new Christian. He really shouldn't have been in ministry, but God called him and he got sent in this little church. And, you know, we were there visiting and she spoke to me and she said, you know, Dad, <clears throat> You know, she just wasn't happy about, he's always busy, he's always, you know, and, you know, he's always helping other people, he's always doing this, and, and when, and it's always about him and his ministry. When is, some, when is it going to be about me? And we were talking on the phone, and I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to be divisive and, and make her mad, you know, I, you know but I, I was hoping it wouldn't, but I just said, you know, honey, God has, in his word, called you to be his wife, you went into this marriage with eyes wide open, you knew he was called into ministry and you rejoiced. Okay? You went in with eyes wide open and the scriptures call you, uh, uh, his wife, a helpmate. God said when he created Eve in the garden, I'll make him a helpmate and, and you will find your fulfillment when you put that first and be a helpmate to him and help him to be successful in ministry because you are his helpmate. God chose you to be his helpmate. And I thought she'd get angry, but she was silent. 
And uh, I don't remember if I prayed with her. I probably prayed with her, and we said goodbye. And, you know, uh, through the years there at that first pastorate, she suddenly blossomed. She, she grew in her faith and her love for Jesus. And she was really the toast of the town. She was the queen of the, of the city. You know, people looked to her. She had weekly teas with the ladies, not just from her church, but ladies came from other churches. And she made things nice. She was different because she was not an insider in that little town. And she found her fulfillment and her joy in fulfilling what God had called her to do. She found her joy and her place. And I'm just saying, so many people lose their place because they're not fulfilling the role God created for them to fulfill. And that could uh, be a husband as well. Husbands are supposed to love your wife, even as Christ, say even as, even as Christ loved the church. And, and husbands who don't fulfill that role end up causing difficulty in that marriage. That marriage is never going to be everything it's going to be, what God intended it to be, until, until husbands learn to love their wives, even as Christ loved the church. There's another piece of advice Peter gives to husbands in his epistle, one of his epistles, and he says, uh, husbands, forgive your wives. And, and he doesn't say, for what? But I just say, men, we know. <laughs> we already know. And, and so he didn't say what, but we know. And, uh, and you know, that's what marriage is. It's, it's day in and day out. It's a new day. The Bible says that God's tender mercies are new every single morning. And if we're going to love our wives just as Christ loved the church, and women, if you're going to, wives, if you're going to be what God called you to be as a helpmate every single day, tender mercies are new. The loving kindness of God is renewed day by day, but mercy also means not giving someone what they deserve. And some people, some wives say, I want to give him what he deserves, you know, and, you know, uh, but uh, we give grace and mercy. When you, when you forgive, when you forgive, you know, and love, can I just say that love is a choice. It is an intentional act of your will. It is not just an emotion, although it can be emotional, but when feelings dry up and drudgery takes over in a marriage, which it will, it's important that you remember that love is a verb. It's an action. You love through your action, through your words, through your service, the things that you do for one another. And as my wife found out, because she was at home with um, a couple of kids, maybe three under the age of five or six, and uh, didn't have the car unless she got up early and took me to work. We had one car, one income. And, uh, and she said, I suddenly woke up one day and found out I don't love Tim anymore. Now, she, did, she was kind enough not to tell me until several years after that. But she said in her understanding of the Scriptures, she understood that love is a choice. And she said, you know what? I don't feel love. I mean, she was overwhelmed with children and busyness and, and not getting out with friends and, you know, it, things like this. But she said, I made a choice to love him anyway. And she says, when I made that choice, all of a sudden, I don't, she, I don't remember how much time went by, maybe a year or two, she suddenly realized that I really love him now. I feel love for him now. God restored that. You know what the sadness is? The sadness is, is that so many 
decide to push the D button at that moment and say, I just don't love them anymore. They don't give God a chance to help you to restore what you've lost. And I think if there's anything about this culture today and has been for generations, we're a bunch of quitters. We walk out on things we don't like. We think we walk out on a job, we just quit. Well, you know, in North Dakota, when I pastored there after two to two and a half years, I wanted to walk out and quit. I thought, I don't, I don't need to put up with this. Hey, I did just fine when I was in business and I made a whole lot more money and had a lot less headache. Even in management, this was a lot easier. I don't have to put up with this. And the Holy Spirit put it in my heart that that's, that attitude isn't going to fly with me. You know, you choose to love. You choose to love. And you choose to forgive. And you be faithful until I release you. And, and I think it's marriage. Building a marriage that lasts a lifetime is a lot of choices. But the, the biggest choice you can make is that I'm going to choose to love, whether they deserve it or not, because God loved me. And to fulfill your God-given role. Now, as we talk about uh, the building of a strong marriage that will last a lifetime, I want to tell you what I'm not talking about. And I'm not talking about a marriage that seems to last a lifetime, even when you're still living and you feel like, you know, when's this, when am I going to die? <laughs> Uh, uh, but, a, but really, a, a marriage that can bring completion, and I say completion because that's what God designed marriage to be. It's like God is not a sadist. You know, he didn't design a, a woman to be totally different emotionally and every other way thinking as the man, but he chose on purpose because when there's a completion, there is oneness, okay? When there's a completion, there's wholeness. By completion, we mean that that person is whole. I remember at a full gospel business meeting, uh, men's meeting, uh, back in the uh, 80s, uh, and there was this big chapter, the Heart of America chapter in Kansas City, that uh, a, a member of our church was uh, an assistant to his boss, who was a, a very wealthy businessman, had a lot of businesses, was the president of that group, and uh, and uh, we, we got, enjoyed going to those Saturday night events, and once a, once a month or a Friday night event, I don't remember, Friday or Saturday. But when we went there once, Chuck Flynn, who is a prophet, how many believe prophets are still, amen? God didn't do away with prophets. There was a prophet, one who could read your mail, and he was an older gentleman. His name was Chuck Flynn. Him and his wife were both scientists at NASA during the uh, leading up to and uh, to the moon launch. And uh, he said uh, that there had been a tremendous revival at NASA during those years. And uh, when they failed, uh, it, the rockets failed, and they had to go back to the drawing board, he says, what did they do? He says, we all got together, all the scientists, and we would have a prayer meeting and pray and ask God for help and wisdom. And God answered our prayers. But he had a call, uh, and he was given a gift he was a prophet, and he was the speaker that night and shared many things. But at the end of that, he called uh, one person out. It was a very large gathering, and the tables out there all over the, and he's up there, and he calls out this one person, and he gives him, prophesies over them. You could feel the anointing, by the way. Um, and second person called out was me. And back then, I was young, so he said, the young man sitting way back here in the brown suit, and, you know, would you stand up? And He's pointing back at my, and I turn around and look both ways because I was very shy, didn't want to get up in front, but he had me stand up, had Donna stand up with me, and he prophesied over me, 
In fact, I found the cassette tape in my office just a few days ago and reminded me of that. And, but one of the things he said that was the most profound thing of all, besides telling me what happened in the last year, uh, one year ago, six months ago, three months ago, and three weeks ago, that was all right on. I mean, my hair and my back and my neck was standing up, you know, and he, and then he said, my son, the Lord would say that I have given you my gift in your wife. And maybe nobody else knew what that meant, but I instantly knew by the Holy Spirit what exactly what that meant. She is my completion. She's, she's God's gift to me because she balances me. She brings me into completion. She helps me. She's strong where I'm weak, and I'm strong where she's weak. And God gifted us that. And so many people don't understand that or appreciate that. But when you have a marriage that you stick to through the thick and thin, through the good and the bad and the ugly, it'll bring joy in a marriage that brings out the best in each other. And that's really God's design, to bring out the best, to make you the best you can be uh, in your walk with him and who you are as a person. You know, the, the sad truth, when you state statistics, I hate statistics because especially when they're true, states that about 50% of married couples end in divorce. The sixth highest divorce rate in the world is in the United States. And 60% of second marriages end in divorce. 73% of third marriages end in divorce. So it doesn't get better statistically as we go along. Somebody says, I learned my mistakes from my first marriage. You know, so often people carry the same things that caused the breakup in their first marriage into their second and their third. My dad had five wives, and, and all of them were, were to blame for why it didn't work. Amazing. It's a delusion. So we tend to assume that the 50% or 60% who stay together do so happily. Oh, good, their marriage was saved. But there's substantial evidence when a marriage counselor says to suggest the opposite, that many of the remaining couples that are together aren't happy about it, but they're sticking to it, either for religious reasons or for the kids or just sticking to it because they don't want to change. They just feel like they need to stick it out. But that's not God's design either. It's just to endure. He wants you to enjoy. Jesus came to give life and life to the full. Somebody say amen. amen. Uh, and uh, there's a variety of ways to define a successful marriage. Um, you know, let's, let's talk about this. There's two people who've been together and married for 25 years or more, and they still take an active interest in each other. They still spend time together, genuinely enjoying each other's company, and they don't keep supersized secrets from one another. They are together purposefully rather than just practically. I can tell you this, that after 46 plus years to be married on August the 9th, in 2022, 47 years, and uh, I can tell you that I thought on the day that I said I do on August 9th, 1975, that I loved her. And after the years went by, and especially the latter years, into the empty nest era, <laughs> season, is that I look back and I think I didn't even know what love was back then. But I thought I was in love. I think I was in love with love. But love grows. It, it's, it was just a foundation. The seed was planted. And love grows. I can say today that Donna is my best friend. 
that she's my confidant, that I, she has my back and I have hers. And that's a, that's a good marriage. Now, we're not young anymore. I'm not uh, a young, handsome, look like a model anymore, you know? I had an aunt once when we were young, and she said, you know, told my mother, she says, your son looks like a movie star. And I overheard it, and I thought, yeah, I do, kind of, you know, looking in the mirror. Yeah. A little bit of pride there when you're young. And, uh, and quite frankly, I've got enough that I think I still look pretty good, even though I'm fat and old. But uh, at least my wife loves me. She's always honest, though. If I'd ask her, say, aren't I handsome? She would probably look at me and say, no, but I love you anyway. <laughs> got to have somebody who tells you the truth, right? <laughs> uh, Samara O'Shea a licensed social worker and author writes this. She said about her own experience with her parents and marriage. She says, I happen to know a couple who meet uh, this criteria of a good, solid, happy marriage after 25 years, my parents. She says, a recent anniversary party, my father said, it's amazing. It's been 30 years and we still love spending time together. As empty nesters of over a decade at that time, my parents have it down. They laugh often, they sing silly songs, and they manage to make romantic gestures intermittently. Several summers ago, my father was climbing up the deck. He grabbed a loose piece of wood and he fell 14 feet to the ground. Once he was declared okay, I asked him, what in the heck were you doing? What did you think you were doing? And he just said, entertaining your mother. (laughs) I I think it's good to have a good sense of humor and a happy heart. Not to take yourself so seriously. Don't overreact to silly things that aren't really that important in the big scheme of things. We stay together no matter what. We learn by intentional that we love one another, that we respect one another. You know, the the Bible says in Ephesians 5, and I'm not going to go and read that, but a husband's command from God about his marriage is to love your wife, even as Christ loved the church, who gave himself for it. Cleansed her. And the wife's command is that she respect her husband. See to it that you respect your husband. Submit together in, in, in the reverence of God. And then wives, submit to your husbands as... As, as to the Christ, uh, as the church does to Christ. And then husbands, love your wives as Christ loved. Now, we all fail at that. I'll have to say that that is absolutely true. I don't know of anybody who lives that perfectly, but we should be striving for perfection, even though we may not be able to achieve it. And uh, I think good-hearted people, good-intentioned people, husbands, wives, will respect the effort. So what are some of the key ingredients for a marriage that lasts a lifetime? I'm going to try to get done early so we can have uh, prayer time with the anointers at the altar. But let's start with this. It's built on the Lord, on faith. Built on the Lord. Built on solid rock. The solid rock of faith in Christ. And Psalms 127.1 says that unless the Lord builds a house... The work of the laborers is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. And what really what is that saying is the work of the builders is in vain unless the Lord is allowed to partner, to be a partner with the couple in that marriage. God is the architect of marriage. He designed it and brought it into existence. 
Remember what uh, was said several times in Genesis 1. I went back and read that in preparation of this. In Genesis 1.1, multiple times it says, as God created, uh, that he would take back after he created today and he would take a look at it and he said, it is good. That's good. Can, can we agree with God that everything he creates is good? And he said that he saw it and it was good. And Genesis 1.31 says at the end of the sixth day of creation, uh, he created man and woman, performed the first marriage ceremony, and he says then God looked at all over the, everything that he had made and he saw that it was very good. Not just good, but very good. You know, God gives a lot of commands and some people say, well, we don't like to follow the commands. And yet the command he gave to Adam and Eve was be fruitful and multiply replenish the earth. And some guy said that was the funnest command God ever gave. James 1.17 says this, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. In other words, God doesn't change like the seasons. He remains ever constant and he gave the gift of marriage. Said in his word that if when a man finds a, a wife, he finds a good thing. A marriage that is built on the foundation of shared faith in Christ will withstand the storms of life. Now, the storms of life will come. We're not exempt from that as being Christians or a Christian home. But it's during the storms of adversity with health challenges, hormonal changes, financial setbacks, opposition from internal and external forces that the house that is built on the rock will stand firm. Now, after a storm, the house that stands firm, sometimes there's damage, they, there's cleanups, you know, trees are felled and repairs need to be made, roofs need to be replaced, maintenance, etc., etc., etc. But the house will be stronger and more secure afterwards than it was before. I can tell you from experience, and I know that there's many couples, probably all couples that have stayed together, that there was challenges, external and internal, to your marriage. I, I can tell you this, and you know, I, <laughs> I find humor in it. At the time, I was just kind of dumbfounded because it was, just took me off guard, is when we were leaving uh, uh, the Kansas City area to go to North Dakota to pastor, and I had quit my job, and uh, or was quitting, they, Donna's family had a... Uh, family meal gathering at her older sister's house in Lexington, Missouri, and we went there for the day with the kids and spent that day there. And at the end of the, when we were ready to go home, uh, drive back to Liberty, Missouri, where we lived, uh, they had us all come out and sit in, in the living room. Now, they're not a, a Christian family necessarily, and so they, we knew they weren't going to pray for us. And so I wonder, well, what's this all about? Well, uh, one of her brothers got up, and he was the spokesman. And as we were sitting there, he said, now, Donna, we know that Tim uh, is going to North Dakota to pastor, but we wanted to tell you that if you don't want to go, you don't have to go. And Donna looked at it, you know, and she said, why would I not go with my husband? And I don't know if he was proposing that, hey, we're going to support you and the kids, and you know, financially, I think it was just you don't have to go, and and I, and I looked at, I didn't say a word. I was just struck dumb, and I, you know, so we got up and left, and we didn't even talk about it. But I look back on that, and I think, you know, wow. Maybe there would be some women who would say, I don't want to go. But my my wife is like Ruth. 
okay, where you go, I'm going. Okay? And I, and I think that sometimes there's changes. When we moved from North Dakota here, we had a nice home there that we owned. And it took Donna a long time to get over losing that home that, you know, pastors' wives and even business people's lives who get transfers. It's hard. You give up your friends, your town, and, and it hurts. And she went through a time of grief, and then she healed, and God touched her, and then she was, she was raised up. Realizing the whole time that this is where God had called us. But, you know, you know there, there's sometimes there's internal forces, sometimes external forces that come. External forces. So I think we need to be, whatever we do is build our faith and our house on the rock Christ Jesus when the storms of life come, no matter what they are, that we stand firm. Now, marriage is God's gift to, the, to humanity. It brings two people to, of the opposite sex together into a covenant of marriage to build one another up, not to tear down, to help one another, not to hinder, to love one another without convic- conditions, not conditional love, but to show the world, to show the world, can I say that again? To show the world who don't know God an image or a picture of Christ and his church, according to Ephesians 5.32. Uh, I, I think it goes without saying that one of the demonic reasons, hell's reason, for pushing the culture towards same-sex marriage and everything else that is perverse, uh, according to the way God created it, is to destroy the image of Christ and his church. Well, what does the Bible say? Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12, the preacher, as he's referred to, says this. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. It either, uh, if, if either of them falls down, one can help the other one up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. You know, we need one another. I don't know about you all, but in our marriage, there were times when Donna was really down. That she was waylaid by something, and, and uh, whether it was health or whether it was other things. And... Uh, I could have split and run and said, man, I didn't want a wife that can't get it together. But no, you stick by and you encourage and you help and you pray. You know, when times when I was down, God was, God was there and Donna was there. And God used her to help me and to encourage me. Verse 11 and 12 of that passage says this, Also, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how, they, how, how can they keep warm together? How many men know that your wife loves to warm her cold feet on your legs in the night? Well, what a benefit we are, right? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes on to say in verse 12, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, a cord of, listen to this, a cord of three strands. Not two. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Who's the third strand? It's the Lord that we are woven together in God's love and he's that third cord that comes so that we will not easily be broken. Uh, As I said, Don and I celebrate 47 years of marriage on August the 9th of 2022 and we have faced every kind of challenge. We face sickness, we face 
uh, a sickness of children and subsequent medical bills that we didn't think we'd ever get out of and financial setbacks, financial difficulties, uh, in-law problems. I may have in-law problems. Don't say it. Your in-law might be a member of this church sitting next to you, but sometimes in-law problems. How many know when you marry someone, you marry their family too, whether you like it or not? I mean, it's just part of the family. You got to learn to get along. Blended families need to learn to get along. Uh, but looking back on all those things, we even battled cancer, both of us. I never thought there would be a day I'd ever say that I got cancer. But it came. Rain falls on the just and the unjust. But God was faithful, and God helped us. God helped us. I thank God for his help. You know, we, we the common thread that runs through both the good, the bad, and the ugly is love. Help, encouragement, picking each other up when we fall. And the common denominator in this all is a shared love for Jesus Christ and a love for his word and a prayer in prayer in a good times and in bad. Good times and bad. A, a marriage that lasts a lifetime is built on love. And love, as we said earlier, is not a, just an emotion. It's not just romance. Romance will soon pass away. But the love of friendship that God gives each one of us to the other and the unconditional agape love that God sent Christ to the, demonstrated we sent Christ to the cross is there. It's built on love. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Uh, 14 through 6 says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of wrongs done. You know, all those are important building blocks for a healthy marriage and really a healthy relationship with anyone. I, one of my favorites here, and there's several here, uh, because selfish people demand their own way. You know, I try to be generous with my wife when we're going out to dinner and say, honey, where would you like to eat? You know what she says? It's what you, most of you ladies say, oh, I don't, it doesn't matter. I said, well, let's go to Culver's. You know I don't like Culver's that much. <laughs> but you said any, it didn't matter. Well, let's not go there. Okay, how about this? No. Let's, see, that's how we work out, see? Um, it doesn't demand its own way. Uh, it's not irritable. Uh, I'm impatient many times, so I get irritable, mostly with myself, but I get irritable. My wife will say, what are you so irritable about? I say, I don't know. <laughs> okay. But it, my favorite is it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And if there's any marriage killer, it's going to be that, that you keep a record of wrongs. Do so you know that, you know, uh, in, in writing a, that marriage um, conference that Don and I wrote many years back and taught several times is in one of the books that we read from a marriage, licensed marriage counselor. And we had learned that, and from Focus on the Family <coughs> speakers on the radio also confirmed it, is that many marriages break up not because of something that recently happened, long-term marriages, 20, 25 years, but they break up because of what happened in the first year or two of marriage. Think about that. And, and it's, it's usually something that that the husband did, that the wife was hurt, she was wounded, she had a wounded spirit. And how many know that we men can be, be oafs and clods sometimes? I mean, come on. 
You know, we say things and do things and we just write it off. We don't think about how it sounds. And we all communicate differently, men and women. And took an internal punch to the gut. And that just ate at her all those years. And that is so common in breakups of long-term marriages. But if we don't keep a record of wrong, if when somebody wrongs us, our husband or wife, and we talk to them about it and try to deal with it when it happens, then it's not going to be nurtured over the years. Somebody say amen. You know, it goes on in verse 6, says, it doesn't rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never gives up. Love never gives up. Never loses faith. It is always hopeful, and it endures through every circumstance. And I know that there's some husbands and wives uh, have been here and are here today that are caregivers for their spouses who have difficulties in their health. And it's just interesting. My, my old pastor, Donna, who performed our marriage ceremony on August 9th, 1975, and he was my spiritual father in the faith, Vernon Fast. He had an eighth grade education because he had to quit uh, school to help his dad on the farm because they had given everything to a ministry and then they came back with nothing. And so they were starting all over on the farm. But he was self-educated. He learned and he grew to uh, correspondence courses for ministry. But he was married to his wife, and I try to remember how long. I could probably look back on his obituary and get the exact date, but I'm just writing this, that his wife, Rita, uh, he was married to for at least 76 years or more. I mean, it's just, he lived to be uh, 100 years old. And, but she died many years before, even though she was much younger than him. I, I mean, I tell you, I watched when she got Alzheimer's, and I'd call him different times from where I was living in North Dakota and talk to him, you know, and just talk to him. He loved to talk, and, and uh, I don't, but he does, you know. <clears throat> but anyway, we'd be talking, he'd be telling me, I said, how is, how is Sister Fest, Brother Fest? And he'd say, oh, Tim, she, she thinks she's, she's sitting on the couch, but in her mind, she's, she's out doing the dishes or cooking a meal. And she's not. She's sitting on the couch, but that's what... And then on the extension I heard, which we didn't know she's on, Vernon, that is not true. <laughs> Tim, I cook and I clean, and he's just not telling you the truth. <laughs> and so, but he, Rita, get off the phone. So he starts talking, and I know she's still on there. I can hear her breathing, but he can't hear. So a little bit later, she chimes in again, you know, we're trying to have this conversation. But, you know, he took it with, with a sense of humor. Sometimes he's a little frustrated. But I watched from afar as they aged, and, she, and as she developed that, and it continued to get worse, he lovingly and sacrificially kept her in the home and tried his best to take care of her with the help of his daughter, who would come in and help to bathe her and do her personal things with her and fix her hair and things like this. And, but when there came time she needed 24-7 care, he selected a very nice home near the Liberty, Missouri Hospital, a brand new facility where they had her put in where she lived until their, her dying day. And you know, he was with her every single day. Unless he was ill, he was sick, or he had to leave town for just a short time. But he would go there and spend the day with her. And what would he do? What do you do with all that time? I, you know, sitting in a hospital is very boring. I'm, you know, but he would sit there. He'd bring his Bible, his big black Bible, and he would open up and he'd read the scriptures to her. She'd be sitting in the chair as the uh, the disease progressed. She was non-communicative, but he would still read to her as if she could hear. 
And then he would sing songs to her. You know, not just church songs, but he'd sing silly love songs to her from days gone by. And uh, he would talk to her. And then he, before he would leave, as he did when he came, he'd uh, bend down and he'd plant a big kiss on her lips and tell her he loved her. And he told me once, he said, you know, Tim, Rita hasn't spoken for months. And he said, but the other day I was at the nursing home and I went in and spent the day with her as I always do. And I got up to leave and I started to walk out the door. She hasn't talked for months. And she said, honey, you didn't kiss me goodbye. See, that was a gift from God. See, that she was motivated and could speak. That she wanted her kiss. And you watch that kind of a love story. Why do marriages last? It's because of a, of a conviction and a decision that I'm going to love. In sickness and in health, richer for poor, till death do us part. I'm going to quit with that. I've got one more point, but let's, let's have the worship team come back, and I'll just read the last scripture here. Strong marriages depends on loyalty. Uh, Proverbs 14.1 says this. I want you to hear this. The wise woman builds her house. This is the uh, amplified version. A wise woman builds her house on a foundation of godly precepts and her household thrives. But the foolish one who lacks spiritual insight tears it down with her own hands by ignoring godly principles. I might say tearing it down with words, with... um, disrespectful attitude. But can I also say that it's not just the wise woman, but the principle here is the wise man builds his house as well. On that foundation of godly precepts and the household will thrive. You know, it's it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. Somebody say amen. But I will say that it is important for wives, the gentle sex, who God created with a greater emotional capacity for love is to be many times the peacemaker who reaches out and just loves and forgives. I'll be honest with you, um, speaking as a man, I I just need somebody to, my wife, to show me grace and mercy. (laughs) And she she does that. This thing works both ways. Both ways. You know, one of the things, some of the things Donna and I have decided, uh, I mean, there's so many things I could go on and on, as you know, um, um, is, <clears throat> is we, we tried to make a promise that we wouldn't complain or seek sympathy with others when we, not if we had, but when we had a fight. It'd be between us. I watched so many young wives run home to mama and tell her all about how mean he was. And mom gets mad, she gets this offense, and she wants to knock him out, you know. I'm treating my baby like that. And even dads, you know, that jerk. I knew you should have never married him. Why did I give him away to you? You know, and, and, and then she makes up, and they're lovey-dovey, and then they're mad at her. Because how could you love a jerk like that after what he did? Well, you know, if you wouldn't share so much, you wouldn't stir emotions up in other people who aren't there to see both sides. And so we tried to keep our 
And I think we did a good job keeping it to ourselves. I didn't complain to my mother. She didn't complain to her. She didn't run to her sisters, which she weren't close to anyway. But that, uh, you know, that we never breach confidence about one another. Uh, can I tell you, Donna is my first priority after my commitment to God. And our marriage endured because we made an agreement on the day, you know, right after we got engaged, is that we would never, in a time and a heat of emotion, threaten the D word with the other one. Then I'm going to divorce you. Why don't we just quit? Say things in the heat of the moment, maybe you don't mean, but they, they hit their mark like an arrow that pierces the soul and the spirit of the other person. And when your children, when you have children and they hear it, they feel insecure and fearful that mom and dad aren't going to stay together. I, I just think there's so many common sense things that I look back on and say, you know, boy, how did we know to do that? Well, some of it, we read books. We listened to Focus on the Family pretty much every day. But we, we just decided. And the Holy Spirit helped us with what we didn't know. And I'm just here to, today, uh, as we close in prayer, to just encourage you to apply the principles that God has given you for a marriage that will last a lifetime. And if you failed, God forgives. There's no condemnation here. But my hope is to help people who are on the precipice of marriage or who are struggling. Is that, you know, joy comes in the morning. You know, the, in the darkest hour of the night, sometimes you want to quit. But joy comes in the morning. You just stick it out. You know, we're enjoying the greatest time of our marriage, just the golden years. Enjoying five daughters who love Jesus and love us. They still want to come home to visit. Four wonderful son-in-laws and 15 grandchildren that are the smartest and the most beautiful of any grandchildren anybody could have. I'm a little partial there. But, you know, we, we share them together. They don't have to visit me and then go visit her. You, you understand what I'm saying? That's God's plan. That's his perfect plan. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for your word that leads and guides us. Lord, it's a lamp unto our feet in a dark world. And Lord God, when the world is all going one way, Lord, you've called us to be separate and go the other way to follow you. So, God, people who are struggling today, I pray you'd help them. Help them, Lord, by the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of God, the wisdom of your word. Lord, to just grow in the knowledge and, and help them, Lord, in their relationship. Help families today. Lord, help them. We live in a, a day when there are so many forces arrayed against the family, against marriage, against children to mar the image of God. But God, give us your help and your mercy, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.